This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today, we have John Blackman on here, and he's going to tell us all about his experience investing in Austin, Texas. Hey, John, how are you? Well, I am great, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. I know we've, we've talked back and forth here for a while. Yep. Very interesting. We, we almost bought a property together, right? Weren't we on the opposite sides of a transaction almost? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That was probably back this winter before things yeah, yeah, here in 2020. Yeah. So, the um, fireball that is 2020—hopefully, it's coming to a close. <laughs> I, think, I think we're on our way out, but yeah. I'm just being optimistic. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. So, John, who are you, and how are you involved with real estate investing here in Austin? Oh, okay, that's a pretty big question, but I guess I'll try and keep it somewhat short. Um, let's see. So, I'm a local real estate agent, but I've only been an agent recently for, I guess, about three years. My wife has been an agent for four, so I really kind of got started in that because of her. Um, before that, I really kind of started doing deals on the side back in, I guess, 2008 is when I started. So I started doing a couple fix and flips in 2008 back during the whole housing crunch. And then in 2010, I did my first new build, new build construction, where I took a, a lot, actually, not a teardown, um, although we've done some of those in East Austin. And then I've done probably about 65 of those since 2010. Oh, wow. And so that's either a single family, an AB or a duplex. And so that's kind of my main bread and butter, I guess, is for whatever reason, I just got into doing those new family, uh, single family construction deals, mostly East Austin, some in South Austin, now moving a little bit more South. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the main, you know, type of investment deal that I do. Absolutely. And there's so much of that going on. And and east and south mainly, but really yeah. all over the city. It's just yeah, it used to be much easier to to find lots to do, and you, you can still find them, of course. They certainly still get done. The numbers are just bigger, um, and I would say the lots are a little harder to find now. Mm -hmm. So now, are you doing a lot of teardowns here too? Yeah, well, I do teardowns still when I can find them, um, and I'll do empty lots. But honestly, the thing that I found is the most available is backyards. So. <laughs> yeah. What I'll do is I'll find someone who's got like a little house on a big lot where they've just got a, this giant backyard that they don't necessarily use. And then I'll buy their backyard with a condo association and then build a, a B unit in the back. Right? Yeah. Or even subdivide it and make it a separate lot if it's big enough. And then I can build um, something larger if it's, um, if it's large enough. Yeah. That's awesome. So I had not heard that strategy where you're, you're actually buying somebody's backyard. Mm -hmm. You're creating a condo association. Yep. with the, the front house, whoever that is, and the house you're building in the back. Yeah, that's right. So how does that work out? You just, you approach an owner and say, hey, you know, I'd love to buy your backyard. What's that look like? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times I have people come to me. So whenever I'm doing a build in a new area, I'll put up a big sign, you know, for the, for the project and people will drive by. And then a lot of times they'll call me off the sign and say, hey, you know, I would love to uh, um, do something with you. I've got this this house, I'm not using my backyard. Um, you know, would you buy my property? And sometimes they're not aware of what I'm doing and um, I'll tell them like what the options are and if it can work for them, great. If it can't, okay, don't, don't do a deal. So I get them that way. 
also get them just through contacts. Like I used to do a lot more kind of nose to the ground marketing and um, yellow lettering and things like that. Um, but as you do more and more of them, I get more deals just through builder contacts where, you know, someone will be building something for somebody else and it falls through and I'll get a call like, Hey, John, I've got someone who's, you know, abandoning this product for other things. Do you want to buy it? I'll get products that way too. That's awesome. So just becoming known in the communities help you quite a lot. Oh yeah. I would say that later on at first it's really hard, but the more you do it and the more your network grows, you have deals coming to you more often. And plus they're coming from your network. So you trust your network more. Um, and so I think that's, that's the best source. And I still buy stuff off the MLS too. In fact, a lot of my most recent deals just right off the MLS and they work fine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think people get real caught up and I have to buy off market deals or you know, MLS deals don't work, but the house I'm in right now, the duplex I'm in, we bought off the MLS. So they absolutely can work. You just need to get creative and find those interesting deals there. So what type of house are you building in the backyard for the B unit in the backyard? What size, how many beds and baths is typical? I know it's going to vary on the lot size a little bit too. Well, here in Austin, because of the way that the zoning works, if you're buying a backyard, you can typically only do an ADU or an accessory dwelling unit. So you can only build 1100 square feet maximum. And so that's usually going to be two bedroom. You can do a three bedroom, but then they're really tiny rooms. I've seen a couple of layouts that are okay, but you get a lot of compromises when you have to do a three bedroom. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they have to be two stories. So this latest one that I got, I'm able to do a one story um, ADU with two bedrooms. And so I'm really excited about that one. It's going to be really nice because most of them are two and I get to do a one. So that's, that's really great. That's awesome. And you know, when you're going to sell these, these two bedrooms in a backyard, what type of buyer is, is lining up to buy these typically? I mean, honestly, most of our buyers are out of state. Really? So you've got someone coming in from California or from New York and they're looking at it like, wow, this is great. I'll buy two of them. Um, and so those I think are my most eager buyers. Um, you, you still get some in, in town and a lot of them are going to be professionals, you know, who live downtown, but if you're buying a small two bedroom house, I mean, the only way that these can really work is if you're doing infill in, um, in, you know, a desirable, um, residential area, like something that's closer to town. So you're really selling the location and you're not competing with big builders because big builders want to build, you know, 10 houses at a time and you're building just one in these little infill guys. So you're really selling location. Um, so they're usually no kids or maybe just one kid, um, who are, you know, want to be close to town, want to be close to all the amenities and the bars and the restaurants and that sort of thing, um, or they want just a really short commute. Um, so it's usually young professionals. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and that's most of the people I see here in East Austin are younger professionals. They just want to be close to everything. So yep. 15 minutes from the city center here, um, to, a bit of an interesting neighborhood, but you see people building these AB condos everywhere and remodeling houses, tearing down houses, building new houses. So it's pretty apparent where things are going. You're just going to have to hang along for the ride for a little bit. Yeah, there's there's really a way that you can just look at. It's just like a ripple where there's like this band of development around the city and that wave just moves, right? And then wherever you are along the curve of that wave reflects the, the housing price. And so you just have to figure out like, okay, where am I on the curve? And then what's the market like at each point of that curve? So in certain neighborhoods, like, okay, you're selling in order to make a profit, you've got to sell houses at a million or here you got to do them at 700,000 here at 600 here at 500, 400, whatever. And then what's your buyer pool at each stage that, you know, informs how, how you're going to market that. And if you can really sell whatever it is that you're building. 
And then that just changes over time and it just moves further away from the city center. Yeah. So what's your average cost for a two bedroom home that you're building in somebody's backyard? Well, it's been going up a lot. I remember when I used to build for like $85, $90 a foot. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? But that was in 2010. Yeah. Nowadays, it's closer to like 150 to 170 a square foot. And a lot of that depends on, you know, finish outs, of course, but then water and sewer is a big, you know, roll of the dice because depending on where you're at and where the water line's at, um, you know, that can get real expensive real fast. Sure. And what are you selling them for when you're, you're turning around and selling them later on? Uh, well, that keeps going up over time too. It just keeps yeah. going up and up. I mean, the most recent one that I sold, let's see. I mean, this is, this is kind of crazy. I did one in, um, in four or five. It's a great house. It's a Tudor style. You can go look up 1504 red. Um, I've got a bunch of pictures on it. It's on my Instagram and all that good stuff. Um, and we sold that thing for, I think like 739, I think, oh, wow. but then not even two months later, there's another house about the same size. Listed and sold for 1.2 million, right? Yeah. Slightly larger lot, but like the guy who bought that, like he probably made an extra hundred or 150, you know, hold on to it for just a couple of months. You know, and it's funny because I flip these things and I aim for a 20% gross margin. Um, but, you know, the very first one that I did, I sold for 270 over in, on Lion Street. And I think a couple of years ago, the owner of that house sold it for like 440 or something like that. So I'll make a little bit up front, but the homeowners really just cash in. They make hundreds of thousands of dollars in these things. Yeah. No, I think if you are a homeowner or if you're a long-term investor looking to buy in these, these areas yeah. where, where you're building or where I live, if you just hold on to it for a long period of time, I just saw an article this morning that there's a giant tank farm, tank farm on Springdale and airport. that's going to be torn down and redeveloped into like a hundred thousand square feet of office space. Yep. It's just wild. All these places, you know, you see all these broken down old buildings in East Austin or, certain parts of South Austin. It's only a matter of time before somebody comes in, snatches that whole land up because it's a very desirable location. Yep. And tears it down to redevelop. So well the interesting thing too is the zoning issues. So like for example, 78745, South Austin, south of 29071. Um it used to be, you know, farmland and horse ranches and stuff like that. And so you've got all these big lots where people still live there. They still have the home that they've had for 50, 60 years. And it's zoned, you know, SF2. So you've got these really big lots and one house on it. And it's like, you know, four or five acres. And so at some point those will turn over, but if they're still SF2, like, well, you can only just build one house on them. Yeah. Um, so if those get rezoned over time, then it will allow a lot more density. But there are still pockets of stuff where you can pick up, you know, even one, two, five acre lots in four or five um, that just, you know, have to wait until you get them rezoned. So speaking of zoning, um, you know, there's a zoning code they're working on too. Mm -hmm. It's been in the works for quite a while now. Yep. Um, where would somebody go to learn more about zoning? So if somebody listening here wants to learn more about the zoning in Austin, maybe they want to build an ADU on a house they're buying and they're not yeah. sure if they can, where would you recommend they go? Well, actually the DAC is pretty good. So it's the development assistance center for um, city of Austin and they've got all the resources there. So if you just go look up city of Austin's development assistance center, They've got all the links to the zoning guides um, and all that stuff. ABOR is actually has a pretty good site on Code Next, um, but Code Next is just it's all hypothetical at this point. There's been no real serious you know legislation that's passed. There's been a lot of pushback on it. Um, so I mean, Code Next is a mixed bag. If they allow more density, then hey, you can increase supply, and when you increase supply, you lower price. 
Um, but if people say like, well, hey, I don't want my neighborhood to change and we push back on it, then we're just going to turn into San Francisco. And so far, that's the route we've been going. It's like, hey, you can't change anything. And so my little, you know, three, two house in the center of town on, you know, 0.2 acres is just going to turn into half a million, then three quarters, then a million. And, you know, we're just going to end up in San Francisco price rings like Allendale, like all those in a couple of years, those will all be million dollar homes, right? Already over there. And the price is just astounding. You you drive through Allendale and if you didn't know any better, you'd say, oh, it's just in a, a blue collar neighborhood. It's in a nice yeah. area, but it's nothing crazy. And then you look at the prices and man. Yeah, but they're all like quarter acre deep lots, right? Yeah. 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 Great lots over there. Um, so John, why do you choose to invest and build in Austin? I mean, clearly you're, you're, you live here, you work here, but what's um, attractive to you? I wish I could tell you that it was like really planned out, <laughs> but it was really kind of accidental, right? And I, when I first started investing in real estate, I, I thought like, I know it's a good idea. Um, so I just tried a bunch of different things. And then when I did my first new build, it worked out really well. So then I just kept doing it. Um, I wish it was more intentional and strategic, uh, but it, it really wasn't. So I just kind of got good at doing them. Now, that being said, I, I don't do a ton of them because I still consider them decently high risk. They're speculative. So I make sure that I never over allocate into spec builds uh, so that if one goes wrong, I can, I can swallow like a bad deal. It's like, oh, it hurt, but I can live to play another day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would still consider them like I wouldn't do them full time because then if you have to eat the profits on those, when I say eat, meaning like you have to live on, um, then you, you put yourself in a real dangerous situation because now you are betting, you're speculating on being able to eat, which is never a good thing. Right. Yeah. So if the market does well, great. But if it turns or it doesn't do well, then like, man, you can just be totally wiped out. It's just the common failure of a lot of builders when they scale is they just double down, double down, double down until one day it doesn't work and then they just lose everything. So I'm, I'm more of a boring, gross, slow, do the number that I can afford to fail on and just, you know, keep growing a little bit more slowly as opposed to double down, double down, double down. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much uncertainty right now. You know, it's easy to look at the city of Austin and say, hey, things are just going up, up and up as fast as they can. But Mm -hmm. you still need to be conservative when you're doing new build construction, too. Yeah, I mean, luckily, like, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats sort of thing. And there's just no supply. Uh, Builders are building as fast as they can get stuff permitted. But they're not building as fast as people are moving here. So, I mean, Um, I just don't know what's going to happen. Like, once all those big industries are built like you know once the apple campus is complete and once the amazon facility is complete and once the tesla factory is complete you know that's going to happen the next year or two you know that's going to create like this huge population pressure and just where are they going to go right that was i was looking at homes yesterday with a client on the brokerage side and we were looking at homes in pflugerville and like there were literally nine right that that met his criteria and they weren't anything crazy so it's just like man it's just we need more houses it's a good time to be a builder. Those are all gone and 15 offers all over asking with appraisal waivers. And it's hard if you're a new home buyer to buy a home and feel comfortable about it. It is. So it's a good time to be a builder though, right? Because whatever you build, there's going to be a demand for it. Absolutely. Um, So John, what attracted you to real estate investing? Oh, I'll tell you, this is great. Um, Ultimately it comes down to destiny. So and, and your ability to control it. So I, I still invest in stocks, um, but I'm more, more passive. I just do like the whole index thing and I don't really try and muddle with it. 
But as a human, we like to play with things, right? It's, we can't just sit there and watch the plant grow. We have to water it and trim it. And we always want to be engaged, right? And so like, if you're a day trader, like that's what you do. You're constantly looking at the data and, and figure out how to take action and do something, right? Um, whereas when you do that, when you're trading, you just end up racking up a bunch of fees. And most active traders, I think, don't end up beating the market. Um, some do, right? Kudos to you, but most don't. So if you're going to, in my opinion, at least, if you're going to spend your time on a deal, you want to go somewhere where you've got illiquid information. And that's hard in the stock market because of the internet. Like everybody knows everything all the time. And if you use information that no one else has, it's illegal. And technically you're violating securities and exchange commission rules and you can get in a lot of trouble. But ultimately to make big wins, you have to know something that somebody else doesn't. So I think that that's still possible in real estate because if you go in door knock and like really hunt through a neighborhood, which is not necessarily openly available to the internet, at least in terms of your knowing your neighbors and going door to door, when you walk into a home and go, oh, you know what? This house needs this amount of paint. And oh, I learned that that thing is broken and you know they want this much for it, et cetera. You now have insider information. And mm -hmm. so when you apply your time, you can really create that wedge in real estate, in my opinion. Right? So because of that, to me, if you're going to add time to something, you should more than beat the market, right? Like if you're adding time to your stock trading, like, well, hey, and you, let's say you do beat the market by one point. Well, how much is your labor worth? And is that extra point worth all the time you put into it? Um, whereas if you're just passive, you're not spending any time on it. So with real estate, I feel like if you do your research, you can kind of dig things up and be creative and create spread because the market is not totally liquid. Yeah. And I think what you said earlier too, the more you do and the longer you do it, the more opportunity seems to come to you. And people know that you do this and that you make it easy on them. And Hey, you know, John's going to make my life easy and he's going to help me sell this house and make it easy and not, not make it very painful. It's real estate transactions, as you know, being on the brokerage side can get crazy and very painful. Yeah. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. It's, it's a high drama business. I tell you what, you get a lot of stories in this business. <laughs> I've never... I never cease to be amazed with things that can go wrong with a real estate yeah. transaction. And as long as you can handle them, it's great. But if you have a deal sitting there, you'd much rather bring it to somebody like you that, and know that nothing's going to go wrong. You're just going to make it easy. So, you know, that, that's why you're interested in real estate investing. How did you get into new builds? Um, kind of by accident, actually. I started doing flips to begin with. And like my first flip, it took me six months. And I think by the time the dust settled, I made like $700, right? And so I was like, well, I can't actually make a business out of that. So I did another flip. And then by the time the dust settled, it was like another three to six months. Something was kind of, kind of difficult, but that one made like 7,000. So it's like, okay, getting a little bit better. Um, and then I tried a new build because I was introduced to, um, to someone that I met at like a, one of those real estate conferences that you go to, right? So I went to a couple of real estate conferences that was getting educated and I met someone who's like, hey, you should come to a new building in, in East Austin. And so I drove around and I was looking at all this dilapidated stuff and I'm like, really, people buy that? It's like, yep, they sure do. So I partnered up with him and did a couple of new builds. Um, and then those, like the first new build I did, I think I made like 35,000 on that, on that build. And it took longer, but I was like, okay, now this is like something legit, making $35,000 per, per build, like, 
that's some, some real decent money versus just, you know, um, a couple grand in three to six months. Um, and at the time I told myself, um, you know, fewer people want to do it because it takes more capital and it seems a little bit scarier, right? Because there's just more to it than just doing a flip. Um, but you create a premium product and people were buying it. So I'm like, okay, I did one. And then I got some more partners and found more bankers and found more builders. And went through like a whole bunch of builders who were, you know, difficult to work with. Some were better than others and ended up landing on one that I really, really like now. So that was probably one of the best things that happened to me. Um, but you know, none of it really happened by myself either. I'm not like I did it all alone. Like I couldn't have done any of this without all of the partners that I've had along the way. So it really does take, you know, a team or a network of people to get these things done. And so once you get connected with those people, like they're going to help you do deals because every deal takes more than one person and there's lots to go around, lots of people to get paid. So it just depends on where you want to participate in the deal as to how you're going to get paid. Um, and so after that, I mean, my motto has always been, if you help someone else make money, then you'll make money. Um, okay. So then I just kept doing them and learned along the way, paid a lot of dumb tax. And so now I'd like to think that I pay less dumb tax, but you know, every now and then it comes up. Yeah. And the more people you help, the easier it gets too. So I, I found that it's just really, there's so many compounding effects with, with it, everything real estate related and investing related too. So, yep. Absolutely. So John, yeah, the network is just super awesome. I mean, I try and just picture it in my mind and Hey, like the people are worth more than the dollars and you know, how good do you feel when you deposit a check versus how good do you feel when you like refer business to someone who can then go, you know, do a rehab for somebody else to me, that just feels better. Yeah, because you're gonna get you're gonna get that back in the end too. So it's always help people with no expectation of return, and guess what? It's gonna come back. So John, could you tell us about a bad deal you've had or some issues you've run into? I know with new construction, there's always stuff coming up. Okay, so I have several. Um, you want me to do my worst new construction problem? Yeah, let's talk about new construction since that's okay. Okay, okay. So here's my advice for you. The street name tells a story. So pay attention to street names. And you can look this one up. Uh, there was a property that we built on Oak Springs, right? So oh, Oak yeah. and Springs, right? Springs here being the operative word. We got the property all laid out, cleared, engineered, soil samples, you know, had the engineering done and all that stuff, poured the foundations, built it, house is great. Sold it, everyone's happy for about two years. And then in year, I think two or three, the foundation in one of the three buildings on Oak Springs started to tilt and like it, it started to tilt bad. It was like an inch and a half or two inches on a corner. And like, there's no reason why a foundation should move that much in two years. So it turns out there is a seasonal spring on Oak Springs road. And so it's over in East Austin. Um, and when that spring showed up, it was pushing water up underneath the foundation, right? Like pushing. Uh, so when we would dig out, there were sometimes there would be water and sometimes there wouldn't. So when we took the soil sample, it wasn't during that springtime, right? So there was no active spring at the time. So the engineer made the foundation based on that data. But later on, when the spring showed up, the, under, the underground spring, the soil conditions were different. So then the foundation failed. Um, and so the whole thing tilted and had to be adjusted. And unfortunately, um, you know, that was on the engineer because you have, that's why you have an engineer stamp and that's why you have it, you know, insured as such. So in that case, it was considered an engineering failure. And so the engineer was liable um, and he ended up buying the house and fixing the foundation and then reselling it. Right. Um, because the, the owner was, you know, rightfully mad and just wanted to get out of the house. 
Um, so the liability was on the engineer at that case. I mean, I felt bad, but that's also why you make sure that you paper up your deals very, very well. You get the right insurance. You make sure that your engineering is done, you know, the right way. Um, and sometimes bad things happen. And uh, in this case, um, it was it was releveled, and you know, he had to fix some cosmetic stuff inside. And now the property's fine. But that was probably the the worst thing I think that had happened to to a deal. Yeah, that's what I thought. The whole house moved because it was on Oak Springs. Yeah. But luckily, the other two were fine. They never moved. So it's just the one. So the spring was just under the one house. Yeah, or somewhere under the property. But whatever, for whatever reason, it just affected the one house. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm very yeah. familiar with Oak Springs. I used to live back in there off of Sarah on Ebert. Yep. Um, so I'm very familiar with the area. So but your advice is make sure you're protected. Make sure you do everything the right way. And you should be okay in the end, correct? Yeah, I mean, my advice is like if you're building, you always want to make sure that you get soil samples. You always want to make sure that you know your engineer is insured, and that you make sure that that maybe if anything you over-engineer because you can get warranties and stuff. But to me, the best warranty is a super strong foundation. Um, so always, you know, if you even have to spend a little more on the foundation, um, do it because if that as long as that guy's stable, you're not going to have a problem with the house. Awesome, great advice. Hey, John, what's one thing newer investors that are looking to get into new builds should know about the whole process? Well, getting into new builds is kind of a leap. It's, um, it's very capital intensive. Um, if I had to make any one opportunity, I would say one thing, well, you, there's really two things that you need. You need a really good lender who knows construction and is used to doing new construction deals, and you need a really good builder. So unless you plan to build it yourself, which is a whole bigger can of worms. And that's something that I have not done where I've acted, acted as the GC. I don't, I don't do that. So I always hire one. Um, but yeah, having a good builder is like paramount because a good builder can just make everything go so much easier. They're going to cost a little more. So at first when I was shopping builders, I wanted to get, like go less expensive. I tried to, you know, find someone who was, who cost less, but if, if, even if you save a little bit up front, it's going to cost you in time. It's going to cost you in quality. So it's ultimately more expensive. So now I pay, um, I pay a little more, I think, um, for someone who's just really good, right? And I'm, I'm happy to pay a little bit of a premium to make sure that the project goes smoothly, gets done on time, and it gets done right. Um, and, you know, it used to be that consumers, you know, didn't necessarily want to pay for that because, you know, when you walk into a new build as a consumer, it's hard to tell if it's been built, you know, the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because everything looks all pretty and it's all shiny and all the paper, you're not seeing the framing, you're not seeing the foundation, you're not seeing the, the drainage, you know, you're not seeing all of the engineering underneath um, uh, or, the, or the time it took to build. Uh, so builder and banker, like those are the, the two big things. Oh, and, and a third one is don't use hard money if you can, if you can get away with it. Buy your, buy your land in cash and then finance the, con, the construction on top. You use hard money, it can work, but when it doesn't work, you'll, you'll lose your project. I've seen it happen plenty of times. Especially if they drag on too long. Hard money is expensive. It's called yep. hard money for a reason. Yep. Um, yeah, well, that comes back to your builder because if your builder's slow, like if you say, hey, I want the cheap builder, I'm going to get hard money, and now your build takes 12 months instead of six, now the hard money eats you up, and now you're at the end of it, and you're like, man, I got to give the project back um, to my hard money lender because I didn't get it done on time and I couldn't sell it. That would be rough. So speaking yeah. of time, how long does a new build typically take you End to end, usually about a year. Okay. And most of that is, it's like you buy the land on day one and then um, or you get under contract on day one and then it takes 30 days to close. And during that time, 
you know, maybe you start doing a little bit of the prep work, but you really don't want to spend money until it's closed on design and all that stuff. And so you do design for about a month and about during that time, you're working on getting your loan package put together. And then you submit it to the city for permits and your permits take, I mean, they've taken anywhere from two weeks is the fastest permit I've ever received and six months is the longest permit I've ever done. And that is just depends on year over year. Right now it's, um, it can be a month or two, but the city of Austin has some programs where you can get them done in the same day. If you bring the whole team in and get it done that day, but then you have to make that appointment, which can be, you know, a month out. So I would plan on, you know, at least four to eight weeks to get your permit. Um, and then if you time your lending up, you'll save a month and your lending will be ready about the time you need your permit. But if you start your lending late then they'll take you an extra month. Um, and so usually it's about three months before you can start building. And then a good builder should be able to finish a home in about six months. Um, so then they'll be done at nine months. And then you've got marketing, selling and closing the home. Nowadays stuff's selling pretty fast. You could optimistically get it done in 10. Mm-hmm. But, you know, give a little bit extra. So I, I average about a year. I haven't done as, as fast as nine, um, but as slow as 18. Yeah. And that's a significant amount of time. So you yep. absolutely want to plan out your lending and plan out your, your builder and everything and make sure you've got favorable terms. Because if you're holding on to something for a year before you're going to make any money off of it, it has to work out well. It's quite a while. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, lately, you know, the markets have appreciated over time. So that's great things. It, it makes it easier. So if you have mistakes, then hey, the market kind of saves you. But recognize when that's happening. You don't want to plan for appreciation because you're really getting into trouble there. If you're like, oh, well, prices are here today, but they're going to be higher tomorrow. So I'm going to buy assuming the prices go up. You, if you see yourself doing that, like stop, <laughs> do not move forward, right? Just wait until you can get better terms where if, it would, if the prices didn't change for a year, like then it's good. Especially if you're planning for the appreciation we've seen over the last year, that, mm-hmm. that would be pretty ludicrous to assume that's going to continue to happen year over year. Yeah. It might. I mean, sometimes you might get lucky yeah. until you don't. And then that's really, it's going to burn you. Yeah. Yeah, so you've been doing it for long enough. You've seen years where we haven't had 10% plus appreciation. Yeah. yeah. So, John, what's your best mindset advice for a newer investor? Oh, man, there's so much. Um, I would say self-awareness, right? Just like radical honesty with yourself. And it's, I don't know if it's necessarily that hard, but think about yourself in the third person and say like where, try to, examine where your weaknesses are because I think a lot of us get hungry to get into a deal um, and that can really hurt you. So step back and ask yourself like, why are you getting into the deal? Are you just hungry to get into one or does it make sense? And what does that real estate investment, what role does it play in your portfolio? Because a lot of people just want to do a deal just to do a deal because they like we're monkeys, right? And like, we want to, you know, play with the thing and pull the levers and push the knobs and stuff. So it's like, Hey, I got to go do a deal. Well, like why, right? Like where does that deal fit in your strategy as opposed to just like, I just have to do one, right? Because different deal types satisfy different roles in your portfolio and they have different risk exposure. So you don't want to be like, Hey, you know what? I've got $20,000 to my name. I'm going to go put $20,000 down on a $100,000 lot and get an $80,000 hard money loan and then go do a new build. Like, no, 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 no. Like you should, you should have no sense doing that at all. Right. Like, Hey, if you've got $20,000, that's it. Like, you know, maybe you um, get into a, a low cost rental in, in Ohio or Illinois, you should not be doing new build. 
Right. Or maybe you house hack. I help a lot of people. Yeah. Hack, so buy a duplex. Like what I'm doing here, you buy a duplex and you live in yep. half. And you can yep. get, get some experience renovating it there. So this yeah, absolutely. Not so just yeah, knowing yourself and knowing what your proclivities are, um, I think is is super important. And then again, asking yourself, what's the purpose of this deal? And how much risk are you taking on? Right. Because that's the one that gets people is they get into a deal and they don't really realize how much risk they, they're taking on because they're just thinking about the the best possible outcome and they're not thinking about the downside. Mm -hmm. So just make sure that you can stomach it if it goes wrong. Like, what are you going to do if everything goes to shit? Can I say that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's great advice. So, you know, what are you going to do if everything goes to shit? Because on a deal like this, if everything goes to shit and for some reason you can't get renters, then you just have to cover the mortgage, which yeah. you should have been able to anyway if a lender approved you for it. And what's the chance you're never going to get a renter on the other side? Yeah, like, or could you move into it if you had to, right? Yeah, exactly. That's great advice. So, um, John, do you have any books on new builds or anything, any resources you've seen or read? Um, you know, um, I think you can go to findbuilding.com. I think that's the name of the website. I might have that wrong, but like that website has like everything there is to know about building, but it's much more mechanical. It's like kind of on the GC end. It's like, Hey, here's how to pour a foundation. Here's how to do the framing and all that stuff. Um, but no, honestly, I don't have any specific books on it. Um, mostly I just learned from, you know, the particular market. So I, I've learned what things cost just by doing enough builds. I, I know what things cost now. Um, and then honestly, I, I lean on my builders to, to take care of all those details. Um, so I, I didn't really read any books on how to do it. Probably should have. Um, but no, I don't, I don't have a good real estate book recommendation on how to do spec building. Do you have any other just real estate investing or business books that you could recommend to people? I do. I say like my, my favorite book on investing in mindset is probably Ray Dalio's principles. Yeah. That's a good book. Yeah. I mean, Cause it's about also self-awareness, radical honesty, radical transparency, you know, like being able to have hard conversations in a non-confrontational way. So when I tell you that you're wrong, you see it as a contribution versus being defensive. Like, Oh, I'm not wrong. It's like, no, let me tell you my, my, my view on yours, you know, about why this plan might not go right. And we instinctively don't want to hear that, but if you can train yourself to listen to it as a contribution, like, man, that it will help you out a ton because then you'll be open to seeing mistakes that you wouldn't otherwise see because we've all got blinders. Yeah. You know, I, I love people giving me constructive criticism and I think that's not something everybody's so comfortable doing, but yeah, yeah. If, if I'm wrong, I want to know so I can get better. And I think that's great advice there too. So John, how could people get a hold of you and, and what could they help you with right now? Oh, well, I mean, there are a couple different ways to get a hold of me. You know, you can go to my domain name, johnblackman.com. Um, you can also find me at heartofaustinhomesteam.com for the brokerage side of stuff that I do. Um, so those, those are probably the best ways uh, to get a hold of me in terms of you know, like help needed right now. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, like we always need help with something. Um, Right now, I'm mostly focused on um, my brokerage biz and a couple of new builds. I used to do a lot more new new builds with other investors' money, um, and it took up a lot of time, which is fine. But now I do fewer builds with my own money, so I don't have to, you know, spend as much time on it because now time is more important to me um, than it was before, especially with like little kids and stuff. So um, I just don't want to be running around doing like ten projects at a time. You also have a YouTube channel too, correct? I do. Yep. So you can 
just look me up on YouTube, just John Blackman. Awesome. So John, most important question of the day here, what's your favorite restaurant in Austin? Oh man. Um, okay. So I've got, I've got two answers for that. Um, my favorite, favorite restaurant of all time is Uchi's. My wife loves sushi. So whenever it's like, you know, feeling in the money, we want to go celebrate and, and drop a couple of, uh, Benjamin's on dinner, then it's, it's Uchi's. I just, I love the place. It's still good. You know, it's been around for a long time, but it's fantastic. Um, I just I haven't found it's, it's equal. Now I'm sure there's going to be people out there who will tell me otherwise. That's great. Tell me, but this one, I like it. It's really good. Um, but as far as like the day to day goes, you know, I try and eat relatively healthy, but I'm also don't have a bunch of time. So I like things that are fast and it's not going to sound Austin original at all, but like good old Chipotle, man. <laughs> I got a family with three kids and uh, we're just super busy all the time. So I'll just go grab that because I can get lean meats and vegetables and low carbs. It's not deep fried. And uh, as far as decently healthy for not too expensive, it's a, it's a good spot. Yeah. It's cheap, easy, and it can be healthy. I, I yeah. like it because you can pick what you put in it. So yeah, you can make it's an uninspiring chain, but it's consistent. And um, I'm just in that phase of life where I just like, I need it fast and healthy. And so the best fast healthy that, that I know of is that actually, you know what? I'll tell you another one that I really like that just came to town. It's called Sweet Greens. Um, and wow. they're on South Congress. And I think it's the only one here. I, I first went to that place in DC. It's also a chain, but it's awesome. It's just salads, right? But just really amazing salads. You can get them with protein or without, but like everything on their menu is just amazing. Um, so I, I gave you three instead of one. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, check out Sweet Greens on South Congress. They're great. Nobody is going to mind other restaurant recommendations. Yeah. All right, John, thank you so much for coming on here today. You guys want to learn more about John, John Blackman, um, search him on YouTube, Facebook, Heart of Homes, Team Austin, you know, anywhere you want to find him. He's pretty easy to find. Um, I'm sure he'd love to talk about new builds here in Austin. I'd, I'd be happy to. It's, it's one of my jams. Thanks so much. All right, John. Thank you.